Another episode of the Anarchist Experience, episode 354, aka year seven, week 51, uh, almost wrapping up seven years of doing this, uh, coming at you this week. As always, I'm your host, Mr. Richie Rich, along with MC and KS and NH. NH, welcome back. Uh, apparently, they tell me you've been on this thing a couple of years ago, and forgive me again for, for not remembering exactly how long it's been, um, but welcome back to the show. Thank you. Um, we do this thing on Clubhouse, so if you're listening to this as the podcast, you can join us live on Clubhouse. Uh, join the club, the Anarchist Experience, or at me, at Riches for Rich, R-I-C-H-E-S, the number four, R-I-C-H, to get the little pop-up notification thing when we start to go live, which is usually around 4 p.m. Eastern time um, on Saturday afternoons, which, you know, typically, sometimes we do is off times, but that's usually where it is. So, that being said... Uh, welcome, gentlemen. And what is going on with you guys this week? Um, well, in the news, the, there's a lot of talk, at least on on the YouTube channels, uh, about this character that seems to have been a provocateur in the uh, the January sixth uh, riots. Yes, or the, the fake insurrection. Um, so, <laughs> there's this, this guy's name's Ray Epps, and uh, he was on the FBI's top wanted list for, for that day. Um, and so they put him on the list. And, of course, the Internet, being what it is, goes out and uh, they, they find out who he is. And they, they identify him and say, this is the guy. And then as soon as they do that, uh, I think this uh, magazine or outlet, whatever, uh, called Revolver, um, okay. post, posted something you know, posted the story about, you know, who this guy is. And as soon as they did that, uh, like the next day, the FBI takes him off the most wanted list and just doesn't want to talk about him anymore. Provocative. Anytime they ask the FBI, who is this guy? Is he an FBI informant? Is, is he in the FBI? Is he part of some other group? They won't say it. They just pretend he doesn't exist. Even the place where he's from, uh, in Phoenix, uh, they, because, you know, they go back to the source. They say they ask them, and they and they pretend he doesn't even exist. And so, what kind of deal does this guy have? Uh, what organizations does he work for? Um, he used to work for. He used to be like the vice president or something of the Oath Keepers uh, in Arizona. Um, so, you know, he has a whole bunch of inside knowledge on a whole bunch of people. So maybe he cut a deal. We don't really know because. Nobody will say anything. It's like okay. this guy's untouchable. I did watch a little bit of on YouTube of of the Ted Cruz um, questioning of some FBI representative. Yeah, and, the, and it was basically that the directors. Like, yeah, can't say, don't know, won't say, won't say, no idea. Cannot divulge that information. Just every every question you would expect the person with the information to have, right, has no information. Right. So I, I assume what is happening is that 
uh, and this is just my speculation, I don't know. I assume that because of his position and the knowledge he has about the Oath Keepers, that maybe he made a, a deal right away just to give over, you know, hand over everybody else and uh, for immunity. And okay. the FBI being, you know, this is, this is a whole, you know, kind of like a political witch hunt. And so the FBI is not interested in, in getting justice for the most severe aggressors. They're interested in arresting the, emo- the most amount of people possible to make the biggest political statement. So if they arrest 17 people uh, for this rather than, you know, one, then they feel you know much more better about themselves. Okay. Um, so you so don't necessarily do- think he was a provocateur or an FBI agent then? I, I don't know. Um, it could be, but in any case, he seems to be immune from uh, any government uh, investigation. So, okay. I like the idea of the internet going after him initially, right? Sure. It seems like crowdsourcing detective work seems to work out in a lot of cases. Well, does that mean that they removed him from the most wanted list because they found him or through that media thing? Or was it, uh, the FBI didn't know who he was originally and they found out who he was, uh, through uh, random people on the internet searching for him and, and discovering who he was. Mm-hmm. And they provided a whole bunch of video of this guy, and he was the loudest and most... Uh, 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 he, he was the one that was planning everything. And so he was he was basically at the Capitol, and, well, previous days he, he was... Telling people, telling all the people in different groups, "Hey, we have to go to the Capitol t- tomorrow. We have to go to the Capitol." And um, I think puppet that, master would be a good term. Yeah. So he he was the most the most aggressive as far as telling people what to do and and how to do it, and and exactly when and exactly doing. He actually kicked it off. He's you know he's he whispered to somebody or told somebody, "Okay, take these barriers down," and then the person did it. So he's yeah. like directing people to do things uh, to go into the Capitol. And, and so he started it. Now, uh, the FBI maybe is letting him off the hook because uh, technically he didn't go in the building himself. So they're like, oh, well, you know, he just incited an insurrection. He didn't actually do it. You know, isn't so inciting means- a riot a crime, though? If you start the riot, <laughs> you're busted. Yeah. I think yeah, insurrection's a little bit more, a higher level on well, that scale than riot. So the so the joke is is that well then that means Trump is innocent too then you know because Trump didn't go in the building. <laughs> I you know again, I I watched most of that live, right? I didn't hear anything from Donald Trump that would lead me to the conclusion that he started a riot. No, he absolutely did not. But yeah. Okay, just making sure. But but, but Ray Epps did. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, yeah. I I've only seen a couple of the videos, and it wasn't. I don't want to call it conclusive, right? But he like uh, like the one you mentioned. He leans in, whispers something, and then people act, mm-hmm. right? So putting it, you know, floating it out there, doing whatever. Um, this was a, a a similar question that you know came up like, who is most responsible for the aggression of the state, right? Is it the person who gives the orders? Or the person who carries out the orders, who's more culpable? Are they equally culpable? You know, it's it's an important question to ask when you're you know trying to mete out responsibility. So if he whispers, you know, if he whispers to somebody, 
hey, we should probably take down this barricade. And then they do, right? Is is that really his fault? Or does some responsibility well, lie with the person it, who moved the barricade? It's not it's not just that. It's not like he just whispered in somebody's ear. He I understand. was planning this. He was planning this with the other person that he was, you know, that, that went along with it eventually. Um so he was more of a yeah, he was more of a puppet master than just some, you know, random person come by, oh yeah, we should take these barricades down now. Um, it wasn't like that. It was, this is a. It was this is very calculated, and um, he was very sophisticated in the way he was able to get people to do what he wanted him to do. Okay. So, so I don't know if he's. <laughs> so really, what he had whispered was, "Okay, when it's all over, do you want coffee ice cream or vanilla ice cream?" <laughs> right. <laughs> and there's really there's no way to determine whether or not that's what he said. You could very well make that argument, and there's no evidence to to well, and, and, that unless you find the person that he was talking to. Yeah, good luck with that. Where's the internet on that? Where's all I'm, the ancillary players? That's this? that's pretty much why I'm saying that that he told them to take the barricade down because somebody else heard it. Um, somebody also heard, and I think it's on video of th- there was a th- the whole thing with the bear spray. Um, the guy was going to take the bear spray, and he said said, "Okay, when we go in, like leave the bear spray here." Uh, and then the guy was like, "Okay, you know." So we go in now and he's like, no, not yet. And so like he's directing people. Okay. Yeah, I get it. Puppet master. But again, I, I, I want to believe in the wisdom of the crowds. Right. And yet they're, the internet is also dumbfounded as to his current location and whereabouts. Like no one has seen this guy. He just, they ghosted him. Sure. Black site, black ops, witness protection. Yeah, maybe. Okay. And that's, that's really weird to me, too. It's like, well, where is he? And they keep asking the FBI. It's like, well, the FBI is not talking to you. Like, don't ask them anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you, know? If, you know, watching that uh, Ted Cruz questioning of the FBI director, right? I mean, like, again, this is the person that's supposed to have all the information. And I guess one of the questions that I would have liked to have heard asked is, okay, if you don't know, who does, Right. Like who do we? You're clear. You know, you're like you're like the low level tech support man, and I don't need to talk to you because you're a dumbass, right? Who do I need to talk to? How far up the chain of command do we have to take this before someone has some actual answers? And if it's not you, then it's your boss. So like subpoena the boss, kind of a thing, right? As if you're if you're in the Senate, who knows? Yeah, I thought that's what they were trying to do by talking to all these FBI guys. <laughs> yeah, but but they they all stonewalled, right? So that's. <laughs> You know, at some point, you can only stonewall so far before you before your stonewalling is uh, a tacit admission of negligence, right? Like if you if you're the person in charge and you're the person responsible, um, I don't know, I couldn't have known is not a good answer because that means you're not doing your job, and if you're not doing well, your job, you should be fired. I mean, you know, it's there's a good chance that whatever they did and whatever they know will get them fired anyway. So <laughs> you know, it's probably in their best interest just to shut up. All right. Not if it's a conspiracy, like what are they hiding? That's the whole point. They did something bad. They did something wrong. All right. So they're not going to give that information up. I, I mean, I hear you, but then you, then you get fired anyway. Right. Cause right. you're supposed to know one way or the other. You're supposed to know, right? The, the buck stops somewhere and that's the person that needs to answer. And if they don't know, they should be fired. And if the next person down the line doesn't know, they should be fired as well. Yeah. I mean, the government should be fired many times over, but uh, they usually get a pay raise Understood. instead. Yeah. So. <laughs> Where's my pay raise? Where's my plus 7% you 
just to cover the interest so I can make the same amount I did last year. That's an interesting topic. We got a 7.1% increase in inflation and they talk about it as if it's just a number. All this time they've been talking about, well, we got to help the the little man. All this does is ruin the little man. Every every everybody's income is 7% less and it's been gone to the government. Yeah. I was I've been um I don't want to say begging, but I've been floating the idea of a raise at my normal place of employment for almost two years now. Like right before the shutdown in 2020, I like said, hey, we should talk about, you know, renegotiating pay because you guys want me to do more stuff. And then the pandemic shut down, lockdown, BS, pandemic, scandemic happened. And then I wasn't doing as much stuff because there was less stuff to do. Okay, whatever. We can, you know, they want to table it fine. Um, But when I, when I broached the subject again with my boss months later, right? Cause I, I pay attention to this, right? Partially, partially because it's important, but partially because it's important to know, uh, to be on top of things for, you know, this podcast and whatnot. Um, and so I broached the subject with my boss again about, you know, getting better pay. And then I pitched an idea on how to do it without actually raising the base pay, right? Like we, we get incentives, commissions, bonuses, whatever you want to call it. And it's currently tied into like the number of rentals that we have per month, right? If you, you know, the, it's for storage units. So every, every storage unit that rents to a new customer, I get, a, I get a bonus. Well, at some point we were doing so well that I only had like three storage units left to rent. I went, Hey, how am I going to bonus with only fucking three units left to rent? We got to, we have, we have to figure out a way to recalculate this. Um, and so I brought that up and the response mm-hmm. that I got from my boss was, you know, Rich, out of all the managers, there's like seven facilities out of all the managers, you're the only one that ever brings this up. <laughs> I went, well, I must be the only fucking one paying attention then because I can't <laughs> imagine like everyone else is going to the grocery store with the same paycheck they got last week going like, this is fine. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, I brought it up with some of the other managers. The owner is still stonewalling, saying no. Um, one of the, the more prominent facility managers called me yesterday to discuss it as well. Um, he's like, well, I haven't talked to Rich in a while. And he's a special case because he came on board when they bought a new facility that he had previously worked at. Like he was the manager um, under a different owner. And so they brought him on board because he knew how to run that facility like turnkey style, right? Mm -hmm. So he's on a different pay structure. He has way more responsibilities than the rest of us. And it's due because of his, you know, expertise and tenure at the old facility under the old management. And so he calls me up yesterday just to talk and he goes like, so uh, I'm looking at your numbers and I go, okay. And he's like, did you know they raised your rates? I go, yeah. He goes, did you do it? Or did they do it? I go like, well, they did it, but they sent me a, a fax, right? They faxed me over so I knew that the rates had gone up. And he goes, okay, because they did, apparently did the same thing to him and screwed up his system or whatever that he had going on there. I mean, he, And he goes like, are you seeing any of that? I go, no, I'm fucking not seeing any of that. Like the price goes up, uh, but my, my bonus structure is the same. And so we had a whole long discussion about where things should be, you know, that would be fair and the additional responsibilities that managers should have. Um, I go like, I'm with you, 
but I've been asking for this for like two years now, right? And I don't know if you're going to get any further than me, but here's my problem. I'm not ready to quit yet. And I had this discussion with, with my direct boss as well, right? Like the last time I asked, I'm like, like the problem is you guys can continue to tell me no for now because I'm not ready to quit yet. And until I'm ready to quit, like I have really no bargaining power at the negotiating table, except for you should probably pay me more because I'm worth it. And if I wanted to, I could go get a better paying job elsewhere, but I don't want to. So how about you just do it in good faith? You know? And I told my boss at the same time, like you, you won't be able to replace me for the price you're getting me for now. Right? Like wages are being pushed up everywhere else, partially because costs are going up and partially because there's like a worker shortage in a lot of places. Um, New Hampshire is, has been traditionally low unemployment rate as well. So there's a lot more jobs available than there are people willing to work it. I was like, that's the, this is like, this is going to be your problem later if it doesn't improve now. And I'd rather it improve now for both of us. Like you won't be able to replace me for the price you're getting me at now. And so like you should, you guys, upper management should do the right thing and pay me, you know, the going rate now in good faith, right? That way you don't have to replace me for more, right? You don't have to retrain somebody. You won't have to be shorthanded for whatever period of time it is if I were to leave. Um, and they just won't. It's bizarre. But again, I'm not ready to quit yet. So like, what do I do? Sit there and do less work? I don't even know how to do less work. I do so little as it is. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the other problem. That's why it's a hard job to quit because I do so little as it is right? That any, any minor increase in pay elsewhere comes with a significant increase in, in workload and, and, you know, labor burden. That's, it's a toss up. All right. Um, next topic. Um, well, I we think, could, okay, we could go to, but this was an inflation topic. This was because oh. I'm paying attention to the inflation rates and like they, you know, for two years they have moved the bar zero and how much inflation have we seen in two years? Oh, a lot. That's what I'm saying. Do you have anything to add on inflation? Nope. Okay. Right. Next that, topic. That's why I said move on. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was going to bring up a, a movie we watched last night. Um, I thought it was really good. Um, it got a little confusing at certain points, but uh, what was the name of the movie? In the Heat of the Night. Yeah. And it was, it had a, a character in it or an actor that uh, passed away recently. His name was Sidney Poitier. Yeah. Which I had never heard of. Anyway, you've probably so seen him though. Like he's, I, I don't know. I don't recognize him. Okay. I, <laughs> I asked about all the movies he's been in and never heard any of those either. So, <laughs> so anyway, I, old movies. Yeah. Anyway, I thought it was an excellent movie and, and, uh, the twists and turns in it, uh, were done so well that I think it should, you know, maybe be, you know, because they're always talking about, uh, you know, in the critical race theory and, uh, they want to uh, you know educate people in the of, of how it was in in the past and stuff and yeah. you know and and I don't I don't believe anybody is trying to bury history, um, it's not what CRT is about. But uh, so just just so you know, I just, I just pulled it up on IMDb because we had a little bit of discussion pre-show about this. The movie from 1967, uh, television series of the same name ran from 1988 to 1995 which would be around hmm. the time my dad would be watching shows like that. Hmm. I didn't, I didn't remember that. Yeah. Yeah. I'd never seen it. So. Okay. 
I'm just sharing it. If, I mean, it's similarly themed, I guess, uh, cop drama or whatever. Sure, sure. Carry on. So Sydney in, in this movie is a, is a cop. Um, and he's also black, which was, you know, shocking. And, and to, well, he, he, uh, went to see his family, I guess, in, in the movie. And, uh, and he was in, in town at the same time a murder happened. And so automatically the murder gets pinned on him. Right. Yeah. This was in the South. Yeah. Yeah. In the South. <laughs> uh, so anyway, any, I, I think this movie would be great for, uh, maybe like required, not required, but you know, Mandatory viewing for critical race theorist. <laughs> well, not, not not really for the critical race theorist, but just for pretty much anybody to get a sense of uh, of history. And why I thought it was important is because if we look and see how it is now, it's completely different. It's completely opposite of the way it was back then. And so we've come a really far away. And so when when people say, "Oh yeah, the U.S. is racist," it's like. Now that I think that's mostly past. I'm sure there's still racists, you know, around, but as a whole, um, it doesn't resemble that at all anymore. So, um, well, so we okay. Should, we, I I want to somewhat agree with you, but only insofar as it can it can still be racist today, and having had been more racist in the past, right? Like there's a spectrum. And we may be further down the spectrum, uh, much like, you know, libertarians would say like, well, we are still slaves today, like wage slaves, not be not the same thing, but just, you know, slaves in general, because we have to give a portion of our, of our labor to the government. Right. Mm-hmm. So at what point are you a slave? But we can still recognize that chattel slavery was much worse in a lot of ways. Is that fair? Sure. Okay. Sure. So we can rec- so we can recognize that there's still racism and they're still. Well, I'm not like, saying there's no racism. It's not what I'm saying. I'm saying like, as, just as a whole, like when when the critical race theorists say that the that the U.S. is racist, um, yeah, not even close. It's like we're so far from that. Uh, that I don't know. I just I don't know if I'm saying it right. <laughs> I think discrimination has taken a different form in recent years. Um, now uh, you are more likely to be discriminated on the basis of the place you were born than the, the skin color you were born with. Um, I mean, that witness all the uh, support that the uh, Trump uh, uh, Trumpites uh, had for the border wall with Mexico. Um, you know, that was a blatant case of uh, wanting to discriminate people on the basis of where they were born. Okay. I'm curious, since our guest is from Europe. I'm curious how he sees uh, what is the nature of racism in Europe compared to the United States? How is it different, would you say? Or is it not different? I think that, uh, if anything, racism is probably more prevalent in Europe these days than in in the US. Uh, Maybe even much more so. Um, and I blame, uh, put the blame for that entirely on the uh, on the European welfare state systems, uh, which um, creates a, a lot of discord in in society. Um, you have um, uh, the local population um, uh, hating the uh, immigrants for taking advantage of the uh, generous welfare system that the locals have created themselves. Um, and uh, uh, that has created a lot of resentment, a lot of division, 
uh, in in the European societies, uh, more so than the U.S., I would say. Mm, good point. Now, I'm wondering, does that spill over into children? Like, for example, do people uh, resent other people having children because then it's going to be a burden on them too through schools and welfare and all that sort of thing? Or is it... Yes, very much so, because children are automatically entitled to um, a, you know, a whole range of um, of public benefits that uh, uh, the locals have created by way of their uh, the, the welfare state uh, in the country, and uh, and all the immigrants are doing are simply taking advantage as uh, of the uh, options available to them, uh, which they didn't vote for themselves, but which were made available to them. And it's also interesting to note that most well undocumented immigrants uh, they don't qualify technically, but I suppose you could say that there are certain. Well, there's benefits that everybody has just merely by existing, um, but um, technically they're not qualified to receive uh, certain kinds of welfare. Yeah, that's more of a, uh, of a U.S. issue, I would say, because uh, the, the number of undocumented immigrants in, in Europe, I would say, is much lower than in the U.S. Um, uh, although, I mean, uh, everybody in Europe, bar the U.K., uh, pretty much have personal ID numbers. Uh, that are mandatory uh, in all sorts of um, uh, relations. Um, you, you have the social security number in the U.S., but it's not insisted on in every in every aspect of life uh, to the degree that uh, personal ID numbers are in Europe. Um, now, the U.K. doesn't have uh, ID numbers for for the citizens um, out of principle, uh, which is a good thing. Um, um, so I think there there are probably more undocumented immigrants in the UK than the rest of Europe, which uh, is probably one of the reasons why it's attractive for 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 illegal immigrants to go to the UK. Uh, they know they can uh, they can actually uh, uh, survive there without a an ID number, uh, whereas that's harder in in the rest of Western Europe. Um, and uh, witness all the the, uh, the little dinghies that are coming across the English Channel, even here in the midst of winter. Winter. Um, so um, I read an interesting art- article this morning about uh, uh, the UK immigration authorities cracking down on on uh, illegal immigration, even in the midst of the pandemic, by uh, raiding um, uh, care homes. Uh, they uh, basically went out to arrest uh, illegal immigrants working in the care homes in the midst of the pandemic. You know, these are immigrants who put their own lives at risk to help the uh, helpless citizens of the country. Uh, they're being removed uh, for for their for, for the good of the the country, says the uh, the uh, the ministry, uh, the Home Office, that is called. Uh, and it just boggles the mind, really. KS. Yeah, I'm in complete uh, shock at this sort of behavior. Of course, that's um, I, it, it's such an irony that uh, is it the, shocking the, though? I mean, it's well, I guess it, you could say hypocritical because on the one hand they say, "Oh well, we we must tax our citizens to send aid and assistance to other countries that are helpless," uh, but we dare not let them here where they could actually work and help us out and not require aid. And well, even when they allow people in, they don't allow them to work. Well, is, uh, part of that is the, is the mechanism by which they get in, right? There's always, there's, I disagree with it, but there's always the distinction between legal and illegal immigration, right? 
It's not yeah. that we don't want immigrants to come in and work and do those jobs. It's that we want them to come in the right way and go, and work and do those jobs. And the ones that we, come in the wrong way are a detriment to all society, including those that come in the right way. Which is a polite way of saying we don't want them in. We pretend that there's a way that they can come in, um, but it's not a real way. Uh, for example, um, if you wanted to come in from India, it might take 12 to 15 years or Mexico, you know, 20 years uh, to qualify for the right way of entrance. And in order to shorten their time, you know, uh, waiting in line, they might uh, skip the queue, which people find so offensive, skip the queue. And yet in this country, I'm finding that everybody will drive over the speed limit, um, skipping the queue uh, to get to a destination faster. You know, they want to save time. And everybody will commit a misdemeanor, which is what it also is to come across the border without uh, papers. It's a misdemeanor. But every, every driver out on the highway is committing a misdemeanor to shorten their time. And so everybody does it. Everybody breaks the law to shorten the time that they spend on, on everyday things. But then they get upset with somebody trying to shorten their time by 10 years instead of just 10 minutes going to some destination. Ah, but when you get caught, you must pay the penalty, whether that's a $50 ticket or deportation. Well, yeah, the penalty is very, very different. But yeah, sure, people um, people do pay the penalty. Yes, that's true. And then they do it again. I mean, that doesn't stop people from, from going over the speed limit. I would guess that probably the only 1% of the drivers out on the highway are actually driving under this, the legal speed limit. Okay. And even if they've been caught, I mean, and, and even the police will allow... Five minutes, uh, five minutes, uh, five miles per hour over the speed limit without even stopping them, because if they'd be stopping everybody, we'd say, "Well, we can prevent um, violations of speed limit by not allowing anybody into a car." And also, we always allow if there's an emergency. If you're going to the hospital, you say, "Oh, well, officer, I, I I had to go over the speed limit. I was taking my wife to the hospital. She was in labor and and she was in in danger." Oh, okay, okay, it's excused. <laughs> well, that's should be excused for every person who's desperate in uh, in Central America escaping from the drug gangs or um, mass murder from their police or their government or something <laughs> sure so in a similar in a uh, in a similar solution would you then just say remove all the speed limits everywhere right just free for all uh, people can people can immigrate and skip the line as much as possible but people also can drive at whatever speed they see fit, wherever they're well, going. No, my solution is to privatize the road so that then the manager okay. of the road can decide what is safe and and then he can make the rules that are necessary for transportation. And the same thing, I would allow anyone who wanted to hire somebody from across the border to do so for, for his private factory or private farm um, to be able to hire somebody from anywhere on the planet that he wanted to. That's the libertarian private property approach to all of these issues. Okay. And I will, I will say this uh, tertiary to the earlier part of the conversation. New Hampshire is a weird place, and I think I've only gotten one valid uh, rationale for this. When I'm traveling on the, the freeway, the turnpike, whatever, the highway, whatever you want to call it, if I'm going north or south, uh, people go way above the speed limit. Um, but when I'm, but when I'm on like the local highway going east and west, that is when I will get stuck behind the dude. Like every time I'm on this road, I will get stuck behind the dude going five under. 
<laughs> so, and the only thing, the, the, the best solution I had for that was someone said, well, east west is not a divided highway so there's a fear factor involved in getting in a head-on collision i go like okay i want to respect that but you're talking about the difference between a head-on collision at 45 and a head-on collision at 50 and i don't know how much of a difference that's going to make like just go the goddamn speed limit when you're on those roads like the roads are the roads are kind of nasty right now because it's you know snowy and wintry time so I'll, i'll allow an exception for that um, but all year round, all year round, as soon as I hit one of these other highways, my God, I, I'm, you know, waiting for the passing lane. I'm waiting for the overtake area just to, just to get to the speed limit. So I don't know. One phenomenon that, that I've, uh, observed, um, uh, in, in various countries and in, in Europe is that, um, uh, if I drive in the countryside, people by and large, uh, stick to the, the, the speed limit or close to it. And the drive, you know, uh, you know, not aggressively, um, in spite of there being very few cars. Um, and the closer I get to the, the big cities, uh, the faster people start to drive, in spite of there being more traffic. Um, <laughs> and uh, my theory is that that uh, it, it's simply because that the people who tend to live in big cities are more sort of ambitious and more um, uh, stressed out and, uh, for, 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 for time and so on than people who live in the countryside. But that's just uh, speculation on my part. That's okay. pleased. <laughs> I'll accept that theory too, because the, like the north-south corridor, I guess here, is more of the big cities and the east-west traveling that I do takes you out into more of the, those rural areas that are more spread out. So mm-hmm. may, maybe that's a different factor as well. But I mean... Well, y- you, you you can also get into the um, who owns the highway situation here. In other words, or suppose that there, that that the people driving on the roads uh, had to pay for the road. You know, like a toll system, uh, sure. whether it's electronic or, or otherwise. Um, so their time on the road was costing them, as opposed to being free. Um, I'm guessing that people uh, that people would that people would be much more uh, careful in rationing how much time they spend on the road, you know. Um, Do you not think that that would lead to an overabundance of people going way too fast in order to save a buck or two? There'd be a lot like fewer people irrationally on safe, unsafe. There'd be well, you you could still have a you know limits on the on the on the speed as any wise management tra- uh, transportation manager would want, but he would also want to. Um, discourage too many passengers i mean too many too many uh, vehicles on the road if you're trying to and then you 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 loosen up you have a lot faster flow of traffic when it's um when there's fewer vehicles on the road yeah i and for example here in hawaii i've always said that the <clears throat> they they crippled hawaii transportation in 1940 when they made it illegal for um competition with the bus you know there were there were probably seven jitney companies and another bus company the rosecrans bus company and they were all providing great transportation for people but when it was outlawed by the public utilities commission saying no we can only have one bus company then that meant that people then were much more inclined to take their own transportation because they couldn't rely on the bus it was became too expensive too inefficient and so for 80 years now, we've had no competition with the bus. And so therefore, all of the benefits of the marketplace, providing alternatives in transportation on the road, were, were prohibited. 
if I remember correctly, that was also the time when the, uh, the, the Hawaiian Railway stopped working. It was around 1941. So it's a double whammy, you know, <laughs> for banning the Japanese companies and, uh, you know, not being able to travel by train anymore. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that could be, could, might, might certainly be then, yeah, sure. Do you think that that's a uniquely Hawaii problem? Because it's, I don't, I haven't traveled around the world. But I don't know a lot of places where there's like competing public transit services operating well, in the same Los Angeles area. is a great example of that. Okay. The interurban railroad system that existed providing transportation for tens of thousands of commuters every day was, um, and this was partly by lobbying by the um, oil companies, the automobile companies, and the tire companies, got the city councils and uh, the state legislators to scrap the entire interrail uh, system, um, which meant then total reliance on automobiles. And, and the, the interrail system, which was extremely efficient, um, or as an alternative, was, was gone. And that was in California. Okay. We had, in, on Oahu, we had the Oahu Railroad Company, set over about 100 miles of railroad that provided transportation not only for passengers, but for cargo all around the island. And that was driven out of business by the free road, you know, because then people didn't, you know, they could, they could get in their vehicle and travel around, do their independent travel without having to have to pay for it directly. Yeah. I, I mean, I hear you. And at the same time, like my personal preference is always going to be to drive my own vehicle. Unless it costs, if it costs you a lot more then you, well, maybe you will still do it, but a lot enough other people won't do it that, that it becomes more attractive for both. I don't like being beholden to another person's timetable, right? Like I don't want to sit there and wait for the bus or miss the bus or the rail car or the cab or the Uber or whomever to show up. Like that's, that's, that's the part of me that goes like, now I'm wasting time, right? And that time to me is valuable. So I'd rather pay to have my own vehicle, my gas, maintenance, whatever, just in order to get where I want to go when I want to get there and not worry about, you know, like you said, the, the rail system or other, other services. So this is another area where like the, the, I'm going to say the technocracy on the left is pushing, right? Like they, they like the Ubers, the lifts, the, the ride sharing services. And I have, I have heard rumblings already for a push to get rid of all private ownership of vehicles altogether, right? Like that's a big deal. Get rid of all the private ownership of vehicles and just let these companies transport people around. And that would be more efficient, um, more economical, right? Better for the environment. And I just, I cringe when I hear that because I go, no, I like having my car and I like being able to go where I want on my own. That's a freedom thing to me. Yeah, I can sympathize with that. Um, I, I have to say, though, that, that uh, train travel can be very pleasant um, if you're willing to pay the price for, uh, for, for traveling on nice trains uh, like uh, those ones in, in Europe and the Far East that exists uh, for tourists where you actually get to see the, the countryside uh, that you're traveling through instead of having to concentrate on, on, on the road ahead of you. Uh, but it comes at a price, that's for sure. Yeah. I mean, obviously, when I need to go somewhere far away, right, I, I travel by plane, usually because it's Hawaii. Like, I don't know how much I'd get on a plane to go many places at this point. Um, mm. 
I just, you know, get my, get my car and go, man. Cause I can, I'll get there eventually. It may not be as fast, but Hey, I just, man, I just, I, and again, I don't know if it's cultural cause I grew up in Hawaii where we all have cars, um, instead of like New York where everyone walks or takes the subway. Right. Like, I don't know if I would feel different if I grew up somewhere else. I just, I've, I've always valued the car or viewed the, the car as an extension of personal freedom. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I agree with that. And I'm, I'm very envious of, uh, of, of the, the prices you pay for cars in, in this country. Yeah. Uh, there, there's so much below those that, that uh, are paid in Europe uh, for, for cars due to taxes uh, on, uh, on large engines and, and petrol, uh, gas, whatever. Yeah. They, they have some of that dumb stuff here too. Like the, I don't want to call it a dream car, but there's like, there's a car on my list of cars that I would love to own and drive. Um, and it's the muscle car, like the Dodge demon. And it was limited production. You can't get them new. They don't make them anymore. Um, but like cars with the engine that size, they play, they, you, they built into the price tag is the gas guzzler tax, right? Cause you get like eight miles a gallon Right? they go like, no, 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 you got to pay more just to pay more later. Right. So they, they tax you on that. Um, but damn, it's a beautiful machine. And I would like, I would have paid that tax uh, if I could at the time just to get that. Just like an FU, right? Just like, I'm going to get there faster because I can now um, type of a thing. But I also remember like in high school, um, I had a, my, my soccer coach and ironically, my uh, U.S. government teacher, wh- which could be why I'm opposed to the government because he did such a terrible job teaching that class. Um, that we, no one paid attention. I don't think we learned anything about anything at the time. And that could have been beneficial going forward. Um, but he asked me one time, he's like, you know, wh- why don't you have a girlfriend, Rich? And I was like, because I don't have a car, man. Like that was, that was the thing, you know, like if I could, if I could just get the car, I could then have the girlfriend. Cause then I could go do stuff with the girlfriend. And then a few years later, like senior year or whatever, he's like, Rich, you've like, you've really mellowed out from when I first met you. Like what changed? And I went, got the car, got the girl. You know? <laughs> like I told you this like three years ago, man, like this is what it would take. And then I, then I pulled it off. And um, even several months ago when like my, when my car was in the shop for repair for like oh, two, 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 three, two or three weeks, um, maybe just under two weeks, I was fortunate enough to, to have my boss like loan me a car um, because I felt trapped, right? Like I couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't do anything because I don't want, you know, I don't want to walk around and I don't, didn't want to be, be reliant on other people for rides. Um, even though I did, you know, I did get a few rides here and there, which was definitely beneficial, um, like a rescue situation, an angel coming to rescue me. Uh, but like, you know, and part of his reasoning, right? He was, he was, uh, selfish in loaning me the car because he was like, I'm like, Hey dude, my car is in the shop. I don't know if I can get to work, you know? And he was like, well, you got to get to work. Cause I'm going to Vegas. <laughs> Take my car. I'm like, that fucking works out. You know, I don't, if he didn't, if he didn't have the Vegas trip, I think he, he's, he seemed like a cool guy. He probably still would have done it. But like, I, I feel like that aligned. Right. And then when he came back from Vegas, I'm like, um, they still didn't give me my car back. It's going to be another few days. Can I keep the car a little bit longer? And he was cool about it too. So I've, you know, I've always felt that th- that aspect of things like the vehicle, the vehicle is the extension, man. If you can get the, if you can get the vehicle, 
um, you, you, you have the freedom to go where you want and do what you want. And, you know, in my mind, anyway, I don't know about you. If you're, if you're catching yeah, public yeah, transportation it's, anywhere, I don't know if that's if that still holds. The, the car is definitely the symbol of, of uh, you know, uh, the, the sovereign individual and the individual, uh, be, you know, determining determining where to go and when. Um, and I think that if the car had been invented today, it would probably have been banned as being too dangerous. Yeah. Uh, but uh, luckily it was uh, invented uh, some 110, 20 years ago. Uh, so, uh, so it can't, can't really be rolled back now. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, again, they're trying, right? They're, like I said, the left is pushing for the removal of private ownership of these things. So one way or the other, you know, they're, they're trying not to let you get into it. Right. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the, 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 the autonomous driving, right. There was a, there was an article or a story that uh, I think it was last week or whatever. Mercedes put out an electric vehicle of some kind. And you, as the owner of the vehicle, could not open the hood. <laughs> because why would you? It's electric. You can't do anything in there. That's not for you. That is not a compartment of which you have access to because you were not specialized in training and working on these parts. Oh, goodness. Right? Yeah. But that's, that's where we're headed, man. Like, that's, mm. that's new now. That will be standard a few years from now. Yeah, I just learned that my my, uh, my new uh, BMW can be unlocked by BMW centrally uh, yeah. from wherever wherever the car is. If I happen to lose my key, <laughs> that's a bit worrying. I think. Can, can well, that's not new either. House that was the OnStar technology <laughs> from decades ago. Right. There was right. another article. A hacker was able to take over like twenty five Teslas around the world because of some exploit in the software. Well, and also if your car is stolen, I think you can call your BMW dealer and have them shut it down, right? Ah, see, it's for your benefit then. Right? <laughs> all, of, all of a sudden, there's a reason to do it, and that, that's what sells the consumer on it. A two-edged, a double-edged sword. Yeah. yeah. Pick, your, pick your poison, man. I would, pick the, I would pick the poison of the older vehicles that you know can be repaired by a shade tree mechanic, um, Obviously not me because I did not go down the path to develop those skill sets. Um, but that also where buttons and levers control things, right? Like it, 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 it bothers me not on a daily basis, but like conceptually it bothers me that when I step on the brake, right? It's not a cable that's tightening the brake pad, right? It bothers me that when I step on the brake pedal, that sensation that I'm feeling is manufactured uh, and the, 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 the stepping on the pedal sends an electrical impulse to the car computer, right? Then sends a signal to the brakes to start to compress on themselves, right? And same with the gas and same with the steering. Yeah. Like that's, that, that worries me because that means that something else is in control, not the levers and buttons and pulleys and whatnot that I am physically in control of. Yeah, I agree with that, yeah. And then we see articles like, oh, yeah, the you know, guy about to testify for the Clintons gets into a car accident. Uh, car just went out of control and hit a tree, right? Conspiracy theory goes like, well, of course it did because he was not in control. Because if he had control, he may have avoided that. But if someone else hacked it and got control, right? Yeah. Like your yeah. BMW, like the Teslas, you know, like whatever. Um, any anything new coming down, you know the the pike now, like that's it. They are in control. You are but a passenger 
um, at a moment's notice if, if they can take control of it that easily, either by the company or by a nefarious bad actor. Yeah, that's a good point, yeah. And I don't like it. Like, a little old-fashioned, sure. But when it, when it comes to, again, the, the concept of freedom and liberty and me being in control, like, I want to have it, especially in those cases. Yeah. It is shocking that, that they're talking about banning. Uh, it wouldn't actually happen. They would be banning uh, uh, fossil fuel cars in Europe uh, at various points in the, in the near future. I think yeah. the UK deadline is uh, 2035 or 2030 even, uh, which is soon. And you can, you can look at California to see where that leads. Um, you know, Calif- California, the, the home of technology here in the United States, Right, where all these lefty yuppie motherfuckers uh, congregate, and where there's the big push for the elimination of fossil fuel vehicles and the push for all electric, and then an energy crisis. Right, and the headlines out of California is Californians being asked not to charge their vehicles <laughs> because they don't have enough electricity to supply it. Yeah. So that's there's your there's your European future, man. Yeah. yeah. Like, what are you gonna do? Mm. One thing to think about is that, you know, it's hard to imagine what the truly free market would have provided in terms of transportation. I mean, we we now look at, this, at the smartphone and see, wow, what a fantastic uh, range of innovation was occurred once they got rid of the monopoly long line. Well, the same thing with transportation or zoning and other things like that. We have, uh, if they hadn't stopped the jitneys back in 1940, imagine you would have had dozens of entrepreneurs thinking of ways to transport people with refreshments and Wi-Fi and internet, uh, door-to-door transportation, comfort and, and uh, movies and all sorts of things that could have been part of the transportation experience. Also, without the zoning, who knows, maybe the transportation would be up and down instead of um, long distances over the horizontal uh, plane of, of, of the island. Um, yeah. The... the and I think with the market, it would have gone in the ways that it would have suited people's uh, interests. I mean, your your freedom and, and those things that you value would be serviced by that kind of market. Yeah. Zone, zoning is a big issue, too, because for whatever reason, whenever they decided to do the zoning, they went, okay, everyone is going to work here and then everyone is going to live over there. That's right. right. So then they have to commute between then they those have two to destinations. Commute. Yeah. We were looking at a, a, just like perusing the, the real estate available and it was a small apartment over a bar. Right. And it's old cause it's new England. So it's, everything's old, but it's like, Oh man, you can't really do that anymore because of zoning. Right. Mm-hmm. They're not going to let you put a bar up in the residential area. Um, uh, and you know, for the record, New Hampshire doesn't technically doesn't have any bars because that's not a thing here. It's weird. That's another weird one. Um, there's no it, bars. <laughs> there's no bars. There's only restaurants because any place that serves alcohol must also carry food. It's dumb. Well, every bar has peanuts, doesn't it? Yep. No, but it, it, I I I don't know the law specifically. I'm pretty sure that it it comes with the it has the the food served has to be. X percentage of gross revenue of some kind. So you can't just serve. Oh peanuts. my gosh. Right. Really? It's dumb. Alcohol. I don't drink, so it doesn't really affect me all that much, but alcohol is one of the dumbest things about New Hampshire. Cause there's that. And the fact that the state controls all the liquor, except for like two stores. 
in the state. Like every every place you want to go to buy hard liquor, you know, not beer and wine, is state run for whatever reason. And they call that the free state? <laughs> it's, Sounds it's, like Sweden. Sounds like Sweden to me. <laughs> it's freer than most and still ranked number one. And yet, just just like at the beginning of the show when I said like there's a spectrum of things mm. as far as racism, right? There is a spectrum of freedom that you can get anywhere in the United States. Um, and some will argue that some places are better than others and that you need to look at um, like what area of freedom you want the most. Uh, I think Mark Edge of Free Talk Live is a big proponent of this idea, um, which he gets heat for on occasion. Um, insofar as he goes like a lot of the freedoms that you'll find in New Hampshire that makes it the freest state according to the documents, right, is not freedoms that the average individual is going to benefit from. Right. There's a lot of like, you know, corporate tax freedoms or whatever. It makes it easy for business owners to get by. Um, but there are better places for individual freedoms if, if that's something you value. And again, for me, the alcohol thing is dumb, but it really it makes no difference to me. Like I've I've purchased alcohol from one of these stores once since I've moved up here. And it was to send back to Hawaii for my mom because you guys didn't have any in stock anywhere there. And I was like, okay, I'm coming. I'm going to go get the alcohol. And then the pandemic hit and it sat in a box, uh, in my apartment for over a year before I actually, you know, made the trip. And in the interim, she had already like, they, Hawaii had restocked what she was waiting on. And so she already had it. And I was like, well, here's the fucking four bottles anyway. Cause I, you know, <laughs> I bought it. I'm not drinking it. It's still my gift to you. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so the freer than most states, much freer than Hawaii in almost every aspect you can think of, um, but still work to be done. Like when I, when I talk to the, the legislative people or the political people here, right, to make it freer, I go, can we, just, can we just, like, here's the goal to work towards. Anything that is freer elsewhere, like, let's make that free here too. Because it obviously works there, which means we shouldn't have a problem with it here especially if we're supposed to be superior to there, right? So anything that you can do, anything prohibited here that you can do elsewhere, we should be able to do here. And I think like moving in that direction, um, as far as like being the freest is concerned is great because then no one's going to be able to come up to you and go like, well, at least in Texas, I can do, you know, this, that you can't do it there, you know? And I go, well, yeah, we can't because we, pa- we passed that law and now whatever, anything you can do, we can do also and better type of a thing. But no one wants to listen to me on that either. I'm kind of curious to hear your headlines. Well, I was going to jump into a headline since we were talking about vehicles. And this is from a vehicle site. Um, I can run through them, but I still want to, I still want to do this one first because it was like a natural little segue here. Oh, you know what? We're getting to the end. Of it. I'll, just, I'll just read this one headline. I'll read, it to the, I'll read you the rest later, Chaos. Uh, <laughs> proof that insurance is a mafia. Uh, from Eric Peters Auto, uh, Eric, excuse me, Eric Peters Auto, um, or Autos, which is, you know, a libertarian car site, if those are two converging interests of yours. Um, proof that insurance is a mafia. I just got mugged, and it's entirely legal. My car insurance, quote unquote, coverage, which I'm forced to buy by the state for the profit of a private company just summarily jacked me up for another $100 annually. 
not because I got a ticket or filed the claim or had one filed against me, not because of anything I've done to warrant an increase in the cost of coverage, quote unquote, which doesn't cover anything more on that below. I'm compelled to buy. So why? Because they can more accurately, because I cannot say no, because the state serves as the Luca Brazzi for the insurance mafia. Luca, as fans of the Godfather movies already know, was the thug enforcer sent by Don Corleone to make him an offer he can't refuse to people who would otherwise have nothing to do with the Don. In the movie, famously, the Don assured a victim that either his brains or his signature would be on the contract placed before him. (laughs) That's how car insurance works. No brains on the contract? Really? If you don't sign, if you don't pay, what will happen next? The mafia will report your failure to agree to its offer to its Luca, the government, which will then let every Luca it has in its crew know about you. And when you have the bad luck to find yourself dealing with one as at the random checkpoint, what will happen next? Notwithstanding, you've not so much as scuffed anyone else's fender or even got a traffic ticket in decades. You will be hauled out of your vehicle and placed in manacles, then carted off to a cage. If you object, if you attempt to leave, your brains may well be splattered as the Luca Brazis who dress up in strange costumes and serve as the enforcers of the government on behalf of the insurance mafia do not take no for an answer. Knowing this, knowing that the insurance companies know they can trigger this chain of ugly events, it's very easy for the insurance mafioso to simply demand more money via the mails for no legitimate reason whatsoever. They know you can't say no because what they're selling is something that the government makes you buy or else. Isn't that neat? These massively profitable legal mafias put the Columbos to shame. They use the government's Luca Brazis to extort money from their hapless victims and then use that money to buy the government that forces us to buy the insurance mafia services. Look, look into how much money the insurance mafia kicks over to the election campaigns of grifty office seekers who use that money to buy themselves into office and then return the por favor by doing the legislative bidding of their paymasters. It works just the same as regards to health insurance mafia, which is another of the five families that hold the people of this country in thrall. Well, what reason did my family give for jacking up my extortion payment by $100 annually, a substantial sum relative to what my prior extorted payment was, as well as relative to what is covered, which is essentially nothing? The adjuster, one of those nauseating euphemisms like customer when dealing with the DMVs or the IRS, read her script to me over the phone after the requisite waste of 20 minutes of my time being prompted by a robotic voice, me so horny phone tree creature was that grifting politicians who run the state of Virginia on behalf of the insurance mafia and other mafias had summarily increased the state-mandated minimum coverage so what the insurance mafia might have to pay, a hypothetical claimant from $25,000 to $30,000, and that accordingly uh, the cost of my six-month extortion to be allowed to drive would be summarily raised about $50, an increase equivalent to a 5% adjustment. I pointed out to the script reader that I'd been handing over extortion money for something like 20 years to this particular company, and during all that time, have never filed a claim, nor had a claim filed against me. And in spite of my heavy right foot, and blessed be my V1 radar detector and pre-natural ability (laughs) to smell pork in good time, have a ticket-free DM rap sheet. I also pointed out that over those past 20-something years, the mafia has already extorted from me a sum greater than the market value of the 20-year-old truck that is quote-unquote covered, 
which isn't, by the way, because I judge the likelihood of my ever being at fault in an accident and because my truck isn't worth much, though that is changing thanks to the Biden thing, and because I deeply resent being made to pay money for something I neither want nor judge necessary, I have the absolute bare minimum allowable coverage, which does not cover me at all. So what, pray, am I paying for? For the hypothetical damage I haven't caused anyone but might, Notice the etiolation of this principle enforced wearing a mask despite not being sick and the presumption of sickness spreading underlying the attempt to force <laughs> jab people who've, who have not spread anything either. Such coverage is something I'd rather not pay for, obviously, which is why I must be forced to pay it, which is why you are forced to pay for it too. And that is why we are all paying much more for it, even if we want to pay for it. That being a function of the insurance being a mafia whose offer one cannot refuse. If it were possible, legally, as it used to be, to say no, I suspect I've been paying a great deal less for the coverage. And so would you. I would be able to tell the miso-horny script reader, look, this is outrageous. I've done nothing to warrant an adjustment. Either lower that price to a reasonable price or cancel the policy. The power motivates the seller, that is to say, one who cannot force you to buy. Something is better than nothing. And more to the point, when the market forces are allowed to operate, one gets value for value as opposed to be made an offer one can't refuse. End of the article. Before I turn it over to you, I will just say this. Uh, New Hampshire insurance isn't mandatory, so I don't have to be covered, and it's perfectly legal. Your thoughts? Wow. And I'm not. Um, in Missouri, they had a, it's, it's mandatory to have insurance, uh, but if you want, you can provide your own insurance by way of holding a... Uh, certain amount of money. I think it was like $60,000 in, in an account. Um, so you could get interest on your account or investment yeah. or whatever. Uh, but like it a just health had savings be, fund of some kind for, for health yeah. insurance as well. So you had to put, set that money aside and, and in case of an accident, then you'd have whatever amount of money that was required, uh, you know, to pay for it. So, uh, so once again, sticking it to the poor because the poors can't necessarily afford a lump sum of money just sitting in an account somewhere. Sure. But at least there was a way out. That's what I liked about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I got you. Okay, yes? No, nothing particular to add, no. Um, I mean, yeah. I, yeah. Well, again, then I like the idea that I don't have to have it here. Is it a good idea to purchase insurance? Probably. Um, and But what, you know, the, the argument that I've always made is, number one, um, if you're, if it's, if you're worried about me not having insurance and getting into an accident with me, right? They have insurance for you. Like you can purchase car insurance and then add on the uninsured and underinsured motorist coverage that protects you. If you ever were to get into an accident with some scoff law like me, right? There's a product for you there. Just use it and leave me alone. I don't want to pay. I don't drive vehicles that are usually worth insuring all that much anyway, and so I don't, I don't care. I don't want to, I don't want to incur the additional cost. Um, and one of the bigger challenges for me now is, uh, without a driver's license, like I'm not going to get insurance anyway. So it works, you know, it, it's, it's good for me here that it's not required, um, because I wouldn't be able to, I can't get it anyway. Final thoughts. All right. That'll do it. <laughs> That'll do it for us then. You guys know where to find us, anarchistexperience.com, on Telegram, t.me slash anarchistexperience, or t.me slash theanarchistexperience. And if you would like to contribute to the show financially, you can do so through Patreon, patreon.com slash theanarchistexperience. 
Thank you very much for listening, and we'll talk to you all next week. Peace. Aloha. Aloha. Aloha.